I'm Alex Shaw. I'm Sharon Shaw. Welcome to School of Everything Else. WandaVision. Whilst we languish in our homes, the MCU has become the MTVU, and this inaugural miniseries of nine episodes got pretty much the entire internet speculating upon its mysteries around the figurative water cooler. And this is going to be a full spoilers discussion on the whole thing, obviously. With us we have long-time support characters on this show, Caro Nagisa. Hello there. And Debbie Morse. Hello. Of Sequentially Yours. Someone else who's been in and out since the pilot when they helped kick off our Marvel episodes back in 2012. It's Taylor Nova of Gameburst. Hello. Our wicked next door neighbor, Victoria Lunaby Grieve. (laughs) Sorry, I I totally whiffed the thing I was going to say. And I'll just say, hi, thanks for having me. (laughs) (laughs) And, And finally, special guest cameo, Mike Hearn, creator of webcomic Walter the Wicked. I've been wanting to do this podcast with this guy for so long. Since I was a kid, I've been wanting to do this podcast with this guy. So I'm very excited. (laughs) And I feel like we could pretty much reel off one theme after another and encompass hours of chat on the whole thing whilst examining the multi-layered characters along the way, paying particular attention to how they've been portrayed so far on the big screen with only the faintest smattering of speculation as to where they might be going, because that stuff will, of course, date almost immediately. Ultimately, while this show was tantalising and filled with Easter eggs, a lot of us were seeing significance in some things where there was only a neat reference there. And when you boil it down, this is a focused character piece on grief and its frequently damaging effects among other things, rather than the directly universe-altering TV event that some were hoping for. So let's look at what it was, and look at the various themes that we can explore. I'm going to give us two hours starting from now, and we have on the docket trust and manipulation, grief and memory, temptation, acceptance, and... The evolving face of the American family as proposed to us in an ever-changing televised model for the past 70 years and the social pressure that stems from that media-reinforced cultural consensus. (laughs) (laughs) That about covers it. Okay, I mean, I could could boil that down to the American family, if you will. Anyone want to talk about this? (laughs) I have a fair amount to say about about grief. Um, Okay. If, uh, if you'd like me to start, if you want me to wait. Let's uh, wait with grief. Let's not start, because grief's going to get heavy, and it is okay. absolutely riven through this. I feel like we need a bit of a warm-up topic first, 
and uh, then sort of like get around to grief. And, and frankly, we could just talk grief the whole way through and, and break down repeatedly. I, I think if we start with the American TV family, because that yeah. effectively allows us to set up the whole premise and the, yeah. the structure of the show. Yeah, I mean, we can just look at the actual episode. So... Uh, uh, the 50s one, the first episode, is uh, called Filmed Before a Live Studio Audience, and it was. I was like, is this... Like, like, I didn't find this out until I watched the making of Doc yesterday because they just threw that one up there, which was perfect uh-huh. timing. But they got in a bunch of people to be the live studio audience, and there's a lady in the front row who's, like, wearing this 50s dress and a little hat, and they've told them to like, to dress for the occasion. <laughs> and they, they, they went out of their way to make it as energetic as they could and and they modeled it on as we find out later like if you're not familiar with the dick van dyke show in the uk it it was always huge in america as i understand it but um that you got dick van dyke and mary tyler moore and i didn't realize quite what a sort of sad affectionate framing of of uh more near the end when uh we're in the penultimate episode and wanda's watching the walnut episode of uh dick van dyke show but she died several years ago so there's this kind of sweet sad kind of reverence in that moment i think what took most of us i'm gonna guess by surprise is like you could play this cynically you could just be like ah sitcoms are shit aren't they they're all just canned laughter and crap and it would kind of degenerate within half an hour or so that that's a saturday night live sketch but they played it straight pretty much within the confines of the mcu that they had and it's actually really funny and and it's it's really engaging and you like these versions of wonder and vision and it feels cohesive even though everything about it feels really off if that makes sense and it also makes the dark moments hit like a freight train because everything is so light and fluffy and enjoyable but the 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 choking scene is really dark and scary yeah how did it play because we've got a pretty wide range of ages and locations here right Mm -hmm. like so i'm i'm from canada so America light, right? So we grew up with <laughs> we grew up with all the same sitcoms, all the same TV. In fact, I grew up in Niagara, so we had even more American television than say your average Canadian. Mm-hmm. Um, but the uh, so I mean this this was very familiar to to me. But for um, the Americans here who are not necessarily old enough to remember when this stuff was regularly on TV, and for those who are not from america or canada like how did how did that stuff land with you so there was a there was a huge nostalgic factor for me watching that stuff with my mom um watching it myself when it got into the period appropriate pieces for Mm -hmm. my age um you know like nostalgia played a huge huge factor um but i i found it genuinely funny as well like that was the thing that kind of surprised me because i've kind of gotten past sitcoms it was really weird i hit this point i don't remember exactly when it was but let's say 15 years ago mm-hmm. and sitcoms just stopped being funny to me sitcoms i laughed at prior just were like why was that funny but this was actually funny and amusing and i'm just curious if it was pure nostalgia or how that played for everybody else um personally i found it just genuinely funny and i think part of it is that the sitcom format We've forgotten what it what makes it work, and you can see throughout uh, WandaVision as the format changes to meet different decades worth of ideas that the sort of gags got replaced by a sort of cynical faux ironic attempt at humor, mm. like we 
and particularly in the uh, in the 90s and early 2000s it was very much you know the 90s stuff was very much we are kind of better than our own material and the 2000s stuff was play sort of trying to deconstruct that early 50s 60s stuff so you know the 50s 60s gags for me worked and they worked really well because they were just good gags see i'm very curious because i'm i'm familiar with bewitched i'm not familiar with the dick van dyke show uh, and what the first episode's based on so well the second episode resonated with me because i i remember watching like bewitched when i was little but a lot of the i don't have the nostalgia for i still find quite a lot of the jokes funny because there's a like you said there isn't that nasty edge to them there's more a pureness to them there's a a nice nice feel to them very i don't want to say wholesome but they were i found them really funny like the the kitchen gag in the first episode with all the stuff laying around where she's just trying to do everything it's all going wrong and I absolutely adored that. I thought it was absolutely hilarious. I think some of the script gags as well, some of the script humour is shaped in a way that manages to blend the edgelessness of a sitcom funny with a modern observational twist. Mm. So one of my favourite jokes in the first episode, and it's so silly and so basic, but it made me laugh so much, is the one about the the using the heart on the calendar for shorthand. Mm. And she says, you can... I can't remember exactly the exact wording, but it's something like you can manipulate space and you time can, and I can make a I pen fly through the air. Yeah, you can you can move at the speed of sound and I can make a pen fly through the air. What do we need to abbreviate for? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Now that that only works in a modern context. That wouldn't work in the 50s, but it it blends the two tones together in a way that feels effortless. And I thought, for me, that was exemplary of, of what they were managing to do, to pull off here. And it, it feels, the first episode feels a little bit light, but that... By necessity. But, by necessity, but I think also by design, because that's what they're trying to portray. A time when TV was new and a time when TV was light, because the last thing they wanted to do was put anybody off. One of these days, Alice. Bang. Zoom. Straight to the moon. And he was just using space travel as a metaphor for beating his wife. And oh. 50s audiences laughed because marriage is terrible. Mm. But that, yeah. I mean, I, I <laughs> don't... Drama jokes here. Like, uh, like Taylor, I don't have that nostalgia for uh, American early sitcoms because all my early experience of sitcoms are British sitcoms and they are the forerunners of what eventually became British catchphrase comedy and the joke was the fact that this collection of people said almost exactly the same thing every episode it was just that it would be in a slightly different context and slightly different circumstances are we talking about Little Britain here um, that's what it ended up becoming. Yeah. But I mean, I'm thinking uh, like Faulty Towers, Faulty yeah, Towers. Uh, uh, some mothers do have them. Some mothers do have them. Yeah. The the joke yeah. is that you know how these people are going to react. It's it's all. Hello, hello. That just long pause. You stupid woman. Exactly. Audience and then kills themselves rolls laughing. Around on the floor. He said it. He it's said the, the same thing. thing. He said last week. <laughs> I found it interesting from a perspective. I actually had a Bart t-shirt that said, I didn't do it, nobody saw me do it, you can't prove anything as far as a kid. I still use that at work. (laughs) (laughs) I anticipated that when they hit the 90s, they actually would kind of skip over Friends, Frasier, Seinfeld. That uh, style of kind of like 
you know, youngish or in the case of Fraser, slightly older people living in a glamorous city and, you know, sort of getting into hijinks. And it's like, Niles, this is the worst idea you ever had. And it's all basically the same thing. We'll be ill thought of by society. And a lot of that, again, when I, I said the American family thing, a lot of this is aspirational. It showed you suburban homes and said, you want to live here. Don't they have so much fun? Mm-hmm. And you definitely want to conform to that. And there's a kind of a creepy conformist, everyone must fall into line, which obviously Wanda was using uh, while she was doing this. But technically with, with Friends, it's the same basic format as that. Like they hadn't really moved on in 40 years it's just that we remember all those friends, you know, oh, now he's showing us his poking device. Uh, like, but it wasn't really an evolution until they kind of got to the, uh, was it the Osbournes and, and the modern family and stuff that sort of they, they hit the 2000s and then The Office. And honestly, it feels like the thing that really changed sitcoms was taking away the laughter. Take away the laughter track. You know, the rest of development and the office didn't have that yeah. blanket of safety and comfort that mm. you could laugh. It's not going to give you the cue yeah. to say this is funny anymore. You've got to work it out yeah. for yourself. And then when they hit community, I can make the argument for Malcolm in the Middle as well on that. Oh yeah, did that have a laugh track or not? I actually never it saw that. Did Malcolm not. No. Ah. Okay. Well, Which, I, I feel like when it hit community, they kind of like that show shoved everything so far up its own fundament. In, in the best way possible, it, it emerged the other side because Arbed always did appreciate the things that were comforting about the past. And oh. it was a kind of a great way of spinning that stuff uh, without actually coming off as deeply cynical, Rick and Morty. I guess I just like liking things. But yes. we were never going to talk about those kinds of sitcoms with WandaVision because they're not about family. Bingo, yeah. Friends, yeah. Frasier, Seinfeld, in addition about to just being terrible shows. Specifically. Aren't about family, so yeah. um, they're more like, about well, the, the found 90s, family. In the nineties, if it wasn't on TGIF, you had to. I think Mad About You was possibly the only non-ABC sitcom that was about family. <sighs> and, and why? Why in the nineties was it not about the nuclear family of the mom, the dad, and the kids? It's a reaction. I think. I think Americans were by that point a little sick of that format. Hmm. Now, there are some um, home improvement is an exception to that because that's late 90s, mid to late 90s. Very traditional. It's an ABC show, though. Oh, it was an ABC. Okay, well, ABC show, fine. The context that I don't think has been mentioned enough and something I I guessed um, when we started watching it and I said and is the fact of this is – this is this is because of Wanda's nostalgia. Yeah, and because I was like, I think she had really loving parents. She had, you know, she had a good home, and and the fact that given that it was 1989, right around right around the time of the fall of the Berlin Wall, mm-hmm. and it's pretty clear that I mean, obviously, we don't well. I, I, at least in the MCU, as far as I'm aware, we don't get a specific location for Sokovia, mm. but I'm I'm assuming it's behind the it was would have yes. been behind the Iron Curtain. Mm. Yes, Makes and sense. so everything's opening up, and they said 1989, everything's opening up, and like American media is starting to flood in, and so like they're in a pretty fairly dismal reality, and so something light and fluffy like that and for a child who who isn't american and doesn't have any other perception of american of america 
that must have seemed like heaven. It must so it was, have seemed so perfect. It was 89 when they were born, but it was 99 when they were watching the sitcoms, though. I mean, I imagine they yeah, watched DVD. it up to there. So what happened in 99? My history's foggy. Like, not that things were great, but there was there would have been something different affecting their reality in 99. Well, one assumes that when the Stark Tech bomb came through the side uh, of the window and ruined <laughs> yeah, the that's... house, that there was actual conflict in Sokovia at that yeah. point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, well, you could draw parallels with uh, Bosnia or uh, Sarajevo. With, yeah, yeah, Balkan War. Yeah. yeah, Stark bombs of exploding near people just causes them to become superheroes. It's mm. the way it works. In, in this <laughs> case, it? the bomb didn't explode. I love the fact that they went back to that and the way that... Uh, yeah. Pietro in the in uh, Age of Ultron, which now is a better film, um, significantly, yeah, yeah. Uh, but he talked about the fact that it didn't go off, and it's like it didn't go off because of Wanda at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, I hadn't even considered that before. That was a nice record. Yeah, uh, that that penultimate episode, the uh, the one uh, previously on, um, where uh, Agatha takes her back to look at all of the things that effectively made her who she is. That was peak television for me i don't watch tv but that kind of episode where they really get down to the nitty-gritty of a character i adored that episode it was fantastic but i were you like me when you you saw them together in that apartment starting to watch shows you did you not feel that dread because oh, yeah. i remember what they said oh, yeah. oh yeah absolutely i yeah. was like oh no oh don't be that don't it, be and it was <laughs> it was the fact that one yeah. little wonder looks back at her family when she sees uh Dick Van Dyke and Mary Tyler Moore in bed, in separate beds, um, and just kind of like she looks at her mom and dad and goes, yeah, that's kind of like my mom and dad, and they love each other, and then fucking kaboom, and everything in her life gets torn away apart from Pietro. Mm. Oh, yeah. And then she loses Pietro, but gets the Avengers. And then she gets Vision, and then she loses the Avengers, and then she loses Vision, and then she loses herself, and then she gets herself back, but Pietro doesn't come back, Vision doesn't come back, and the Avengers don't come back. I, just going back to the, the theorising what happened in the mid-90s or early to mid-90s to, to cause sitcoms to shift in their setting and tone, I would guess that a part of it is to do with the fact that the uh, divorce rate was skyrocketing, the nuclear family was no longer the uh, aspirational flag to be held up you know so that that whole everybody wants to live in suburbia and have a nuclear family they were recognizing that that just wasn't the case anymore and ultimately what ended up happening if you look at the settings of something like friends or frasier it's still the village that they don't want to be ill thought of in but the village is getting smaller mm. in this case it was uh-huh. greenwich village well yes <laughs> there's another thing yeah there's another element too though that i want to make sure we mention because in the 90s all of the old sitcoms were in syndication like mm. i watched a shocking number of these growing oh, yeah. up because of nick at night which uh-huh. was the, the thing so i've seen like the entirety of the dick van dyke show the mary tyler moore show the Whoa. brady bunch i dream of genie yeah. bewitched like I've watched and, all of Green Acres, and I hate Green Acres, but it was on at 2 a.m. and nothing else was. <laughs> is that another thing that happened in the 90s is that a lot of kids watched these old sitcoms because their parents remembered them, and they were available, mm-hmm. they were readily available, and they gave this kind of, like, 
washed version of reality and family. And I would think from my own perspective is a lot of kids in the nineties grew up thinking that those were extremely trite. And that's why we have the kind of irony poisoning in sitcoms going forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause like I have watched every sitcom that Wanda references in WandaVision, except for the office. And I hate sitcoms and mm-hmm. it is. Why are you so- doing this to yourself? <laughs> Well, well, growing up, I didn't have control of the remote. Right. That's what was on. I'm going to get my own TV. The last sitcom I watched and had any kind of enjoyment from was Malcolm in the Middle, Mm -hmm. mainly because They Might Be Giants did the theme song. But um, that, like, for real, like, I'm never going to watch The Office because it sounds awful to me. And most of these other ones... I would never go back and watch. I enjoy um, it, and but Friends I, is homo- homophobic trash. Side note: Sharon and I also love The Office. We just didn't want to argue. Victoria was making a point. We like Friends too, but it is casually and consistently homophobic. Um, it, it's just the idea that, like, I think that a lot of people who made sitcoms in the aughts and the you know 2010s were poisoned and turned around by that kind of trite look from those 50s and 60s because it was all syndicated. Mm. I think that's one of the things that WandaVision is going to be possibly criticized for eventually, but I couldn't see how they could have done it in any other way. So WandaVision is obviously made with modern sensibilities, modern comedic timing, modern jokes. Mm. I find it really fascinating that you would point out that the episodes had kind of the cadence of these old sitcoms, but the timing and the joke construction of more modern day, because I actually found the first two episodes of WandaVision to be like a little grating to watch again, because it, it was so... Uh, embedded in that old style. And I I started watching this with my nesting partner, Lynn, and she has no perspective on sitcoms of any type. And she, after the third episode, was like, you're watching the rest of this show by yourself because I can't take this. It is too cringy. It is too grating on my nerves, which is a real shame because episode four is when she would have really liked it. But Mm. (laughs) what I referred to there, not not in the jokes, what I meant there is... um, controversy for lack of a better word so monica showing up what was monica's character name why can't i think of that geraldine 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 when geraldine shows up and is a prominent character i mean that fits the narrative but it is weird watching a black and white sitcom with a black actor in it um and so that's what i mean where i wonder if 10 years down the line when we're talking about this again um how, how do you Disney couldn't have won that. They couldn't have put controversy in. They, they had to bring it up to modern levels, both for money and for story. Um, but I wonder if that's something that, that um, WandaVision wasn't the thing to address it, but it, it, it's a talking point because TV was so different back then. It, it was It was so gated, so walled off to so many people. Mm. And that's just what we lived with. Like, that's just how I grew up. <laughs> like... It did feel like anachronistic, actually, when you've got um, <clears throat> neighbors of color, and it's like they wouldn't even have been in Bewitched. They were just these people would have been white as fucking sheets. But they are in Westview, and they do have to be yeah. uh, incorporated into the the setup yeah. that Wanda has. So it's uh, effectively a deliberate anachronism to embrace the more modern uh, occurrence of people not all being white. Mm. I did note uh, during the third episode, uh, Now in Colour, when uh, Geraldine, um, basically when when Monica kind of starts to remember who she is, but her whole like shtick when she's wandering around the Brady Bunch house and Monica wanders trying to hide her pregnancy, she's being 
the version of somebody black in the 70s being presented on TV in a way that allows the viewers to ignore the fact that they are black if they want. It's not going to get political if you want to use that fucking parlance. On the other hand, her dialogue um, includes just enough slang and sort of patois to really to uh, stress that this is a black person yeah. so that white people can sort of do a cultural tourism thing. Yeah. Yeah. So it's I like, hey, imagine if you had a black neighbor. That may be, I mean, she'd be nice, wouldn't she? <sighs> I can't wait for it. She didn't say jive. I never caught a jive, right? Like yeah. that didn't happen? Yeah. I, I do. I, her little. Um, she's the actress is so fucking great. I love. Oh shit. my god, I love her so much. Tayona Paris. Apparently, oh, yeah. like she was uh, sort of in the episode acting as Geraldine, and she hadn't been told, at least as far as I can tell. Maybe this was just during rehearsals. Exactly who this was, and she was like, "Is this Ronica Rambo grown up?" And then she found out, and she was like, "Oh my god!" Like she's a total yeah. nerd. I love her. Oh, yeah. She's adorable. Tiana Paris, I want to see her in everything now. (laughs) She sells every hit. Every time she takes a hit, I'm like, you hurt that poor woman. Stop it. (laughs) Yeah. She even gets away with pulling off the superhero landing and making it look. Yes. (laughs) Oh, the the, the smile that she gives after she makes that landing and the camera kind of pans up with her head. Yeah. And she's smiling like, look at what I just did. Oh, I loved that shot. I'm going to go ahead and guess that she'll be in the Ms. Marvel show at some point. If they can't get Brie Larson on very often, might be an idea. She's already already in the cast. Excellent. Brilliant. And talking about the nuclear family stuff. I I feel like it, it started in the 50s. Obviously, they had very strict, you know, they, they had the, the restrictions and that they couldn't, things they couldn't do when, say, on te- television, the Hays Code. Like, they couldn't be very reflective of things. And I think, like, people by the 90s, since they had started to see those sitcoms and to see, like, people started feeling like, oh, we were being lied to, which to a certain degree american people were and you know whoever watched those shows but also i think it's funny how things have kind of come in a way full circle because they don't have to lie to us now but they said the new generation now wants happy things and they want really fluffy escapist kinds of things yeah and i think it makes us come back to those shows and see them in a lot more forgiving light and mm. yes it's formulaic and they're you know it's it's very con- pretty contrived situations and all these kinds of things but it also highlights number one that like people were making comedy that had to be clean and wholesome and still find ways to make it funny and number two like you can look for the positive things in it and I think like that. I think that helps a lot, given through the lens of Wanda's nostalgia, and taking away the positive things. Given that we, you know, this was made in a pandemic, and we we need desperately need some kind of escapism to a place that isn't hellish. And I think it it kind of perfectly marries those, and the fact that for however culpable Wanda is like she's doing this from an understandable place and a very, very sympathetic place. Yeah. Yeah. And as to the idea that uh, we want fluffy and whatnot, and we have been kind of trashing the underlying sense of these fifties and sixties sitcoms, but 
in many ways, they did some wonderful things um, that I think need to be recognized, particularly in uh, in the episode where uh, Agatha is bringing Wanda back. The episode they're watching is It May Look Like a Walnut's. Um, mm. which was a turning point for the Dick Van Dyke show. Uh, Sheldon Leonard was having trouble really getting the uh, flow of the show to work properly, and he hated this script. But he decided to let it go anyway, and it's sort of a Twilight a Twilight Zone uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers parody episode oh. that has a lot of weirdness in it. And, and that's the one on the light. Yeah, exactly. And people loved it back at the time, in the time, too. Mm. You know, people, there's a certain amount of, yes, it's nice to have comfort, but also, uh, we also like that weirdness. And we like that sort of off-the-wall stuff. That's one of the reasons why I Love Lucy worked so well, is that it was so ridiculously off-the-wall. And so many of the jokes were not contrived because of the fact that they were so bonkers that you know you can't make this situation it really does come off as surreal something debbie said uh, just now really like that reminded me um the, the whole pandemic situation they couldn't possibly have planned for this to have a weird parallel with the pandemic but it does kind of make it perfect if you go back to the beginning of lockdown, the first thing people did was tune in Netflix and binge watch Friends, homophobic mm-hmm. trash though it may be. Uh, it's incredibly yeah. comforting to them because it sort of harkens back to when they were younger and the whole world lay before them and they were just sort of maybe thinking about finding their own found families. And and so it, it offered them that sense of being able to step away from the nightmare outside. Mm. Or even not replicating their own memories, but like Willow and loads of people their age yeah. binge-watched Friends and, and got really into it. Yeah, and effectively yeah. that means everyone was doing what Wanda's doing, only they were doing it in a passive way, just sitting on the sofa, rather than making Creating everyone be friends. Yeah. I also <laughs> think there is a, a delightful twist in that they start with TV from the McCarthy era to tell a story about a witch. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah. I think my favourite episode intro uh, was um, uh, episode five on a very special episode, the Family Ties-like one. Uh, Thank you. That intro sequence... This is around about the time in the 80s they were like, we don't just have to have canned laughter. We can actually make this a drama as well as a comedy, and we'll just make it about an ordinary family. And so it's it's funny, but you'll also find sad stuff in there. That intro sequence, even before I knew how the whole thing was going to end, that just gets me welling up. I'm like, Jesus, why am I crying about this fictional family? Yeah. And like, not even, not even just wonder and vision. Just the idea of that sort of programming being that appealing in the '80s, when people were getting a little bit, I'm not sure what being a family really even means anymore. Mm-hmm. As we approached the '90s, as divorce rates started to go up and up, there is also the Cold War shadow that was going on through the '80s, which would have made people <laughs> extremely desperate for things that were comforting and reassuring, and said, "Home is safe, home is mm-hmm. good." And for Wanda's personal childhood, in an environment which is going to be very influenced by the uh, the Cold War and the immediate mm. aftermath of it, then that would have had a relevance for that as well.
of what life could be. But then the years come and teach you to just wait and see. Forces may try to pull us apart, but nothing can faze me if you're in my Side note, knocking yeah. off two stars because they could have had a reference to Alf by having Rocket move in for a half an episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to eat your cat there. <laughs> Season two. Season really two. <laughs> a full house really just blows my mind. Yeah. As oh. we've learned from the show, it didn't like to do the too obvious thing too often. Yeah, no, yeah I'm not really knocking off those two stars. It just occurred to me while I was there. I was like, wow, Alf was from that era too. <laughs> <laughs> they could also have gone fully animated for one episode and kind of referenced The Simpsons. It would have been a lot harder to explain, though, yeah. in the MCU's quote-unquote realism. Yeah, no, that's um, uh, that's community. Now we're animated. Of course we are, Abed. Um, <laughs> okay, so now, I mean, we've we've talked about the, the, the family thing. We can definitely come back to it. But I, th- I feel like we've kind of warmed ourselves up now. We're 33 minutes in. Uh, I mean, we could talk for an hour and a half about this. The main... Easily. <laughs> Grief, because this whole thing is motivated by not only Wanda's grief at, at losing vision twice right in front of her, but everything that's happened throughout her life that just seems to just layer and layer and layer on. So I suppose that, that like the, the word grief is so simple and means so many different things. Um, how is the concept explored throughout? I just want to make one point that kind of jumps all the way to the end. So for that, I apologise. But one of the things that for me felt so sharp and poignant about the show as an exploration of grief is Wanda reaching the conclusion that the only way she can really deal with this is put it on pause. And by creating her vision from the piece of the Mind Stone or the, the, the energy from the Mind Stone that resides in her, effectively what she's doing is taking all the positive memories that she has and externalising them and saying, I can't have these in me right now. It hurts too much. So by putting them outside herself and, and putting everything around her, it's still there, but she can, she can observe it in a very clear way. Yeah. Oh, my God, it hurts. We're dreaming your nightmares. They are the receptacle for her pain. Absolutely. She's got so much hurt going on that she just cannot engage with yet. Yeah, I I think she definitely less... Like, I don't think you could go through this episode by episode and necessarily take them as a whole as processing of the grief because I don't think that's what she was doing. She was definitely escaping and lashing. 
um, as opposed to processing. The 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 sitcom aesthetic outside of the times that it goes dark and creepy. There might be something to say, for example, on something like the choking scene or the um, realizing waking up with Monica scene. Um, you know, where things get really dark and twisted that she's now confronting literal reality as well as the reality she's facing. But the episodes themselves, particularly the first three, and any of the pure sitcom tropes, they don't feel like processing. They feel like pure escapism. I am not facing this. I'm doing my own thing. Not well, that so could much- be denial in the Kubler-Ross model. Uh, yes, absolutely. But there's there's also the, uh, the Kubler-Ross model being the just... To capsulate, it's the uh, denial... Denial, anger, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. That's the one. I can never remember what order they come in. But even Kubler-Ross said they don't have to be in the same order. Can we go over them again, please? Because every single listener would benefit from hearing those five. Okay. (laughs) Denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. Mr. Simpson, you've made incredible progress. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing. You don't necessarily go through them in sequence. They don't have a, a compartmentalised amount of time that you need to spend on each one. It's going to vary for everybody. Yeah. But those are things that definitely come about when you are going through grief. One of the things that I noticed about the second episode, which I think certainly of the early episodes is probably my favourite, is... The fact that they call themselves their stage names are illusion and glamour. Wanda's own subconscious is trying to tell her this is not real. This is He's you an illusion. have made this, this is up. This is a glamour. Yeah. Wow. I think there's one thing that goes against the idea that she's not processing it at all mm-hmm. during the early episodes. Because I mean, so full full disclosure, the reason that I am I'm on this podcast in a lot of ways is I um had a partner die halfway through this show while I was watching it, while it was airing, and it totally recontextualized my experience through this. Uh, it was about a month ago at this point. Um, I had uh, a, a partner die by accident. Uh, it was a really dumb thing that had anybody been there, um, it wouldn't have happened. But... You know, I'll tell you for the first week, I wasn't able to process anything and try to, you know, I I was trying to escape. But in the first, I mean, it it occurred to me as I was rewatching it over the last couple of days, the commercials are her unconscious, her subconscious processing it. Because the commercial in the first episode, the toaster is the Stark Industries bomb. The only color in the whole episode is the the light blinking on it. In the, the second episode, the commercial was the Strucker watch uh, that was made by Hydra. The third episode was the um, the escape to a world all your own with Hydra Soak, find the goddess within. So clearly that was her time with Hydra. And it, it was shaped like the friggin' um, Tesseract. Tesseract, the soap yeah. box. Yep. Uh, and then episode five is about uh, Lagos, uh, paper towels. Lagos was where they were when Wanda messed yeah. up in mm. Winter Clean Soldier up the worst at the beginning. Uh, Civil War. Or whichever one it was. Yeah. No, yeah. yeah. Victoria, I'm giving you a huge virtual hug. <laughs> yeah, well, I appreciate that. Because, um, like I said, it changed my ability to understand this because I had never... I've experienced a lot of death. I've experienced a lot of grief with people on all manner, but not a partner. And to 
to suddenly have that experience and reflect on this show that is a direct, like, is a person going through grief. And, you know, I, we were already, what, five episodes in by the time this happened. And then looking back at those episodes and realizing, oh, yeah, that was my last week. Oh, that was the week after. Uh, just, I'm kind of impressed it paralleled so well, if I'm honest. All virtual um, hugs. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, yeah, I think that in the beginning when it first happens, like, grief beyond those, like, stages that you can rationalize in the moment, like, you can't do anything. You have no functionality. You have no capacity to feel because to feel is to be overwhelmed. And you have no choice but to try to escape it or break. And so... It makes perfect sense to me that the beginning of this show is so much more in the escapism. And it's not until you start going forward that she starts to be able to process it better. And uh, even even the way that Wanda shares that grief with a whole lot of other people uh, unwillingly is weirdly relatable because one of the things that I wanted to do was to talk to other people about what had happened, but most of them didn't have the context, didn't know the person. So they couldn't really like, they could feel bad. They could feel pity, but they couldn't share the grief. And it wasn't until literally a week ago that I was able to spend some time, um, getting some items from their, uh, their house with, uh, their other partner who's the executor of their estate and i was able to share that grief with somebody who understood which again wanda and monica whenever monica comes back and refuses to let her go through this on her own and the reason that monica can get through the wall in the first place is because she is also grieving she's grieving the person who is closest to her knows mm-hmm. her mother instead of a partner who she um, also lost because of the blip albeit in a different way right and, you know, she heard about what the blip was on Ant-Man's podcast, like everybody else. But <laughs> Obviously, yeah. Because, uh, I mean, <laughs> there was a great tweet that was like, how does everybody in WandaVision know exactly what happened during the events of Endgame and, and Infinity War? And somebody's like, well, obviously the solution is Ant-Man made a podcast and everybody listened to it. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was wondering that. I love that answer. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, I, that's, that's, to me, that's the canonical answer. But, yeah, but yeah so having... Um, you know, if and you want to rationalize Luis. it through those stages, I'm closer to acceptance now, but I never went through anger, really. Mm. Um, it was mostly depression, but it's it's just this waves and waves of, of emotion that you have to avoid lest you break uh, on them. Um, so I think that's my my spiel for now and with that insight i actually think looking at that episode list there are processing phases in there episodes one and two are different kinds of denial one being a complete escapist right let's just pretend everything's normal and carry on with the boss coming around for dinner Um, but in order to do that she has to drain all the color out of it um, episode two, as I said, has the, the glamour and illusion elements to it where it's it's let's make everything look the way we want it to look, even though underneath we know that that's not true. And again, there's no you, you don't have the color. It's it's things aren't aren't right because in real life you everything isn't in black and white. And then once yeah. the, the twins are born, her. <laughs> 
her protectiveness, which could really be interpreted as a form of anger coming through, really starts to rise. And this is where she starts lashing out at people and and becoming very defensive. And in part, that's because the illusions are starting to crack. But she's also creating things, the kids, uh, which will require her to be protective and defensive. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that I, it didn't occur to me until after the show, and it's one of the it's one of those things like I can't believe I didn't notice this in that second episode where she was seeing certain things in color. The only color she saw was red. Mm. Yeah, well, yes. When the color starts to come back in, I noticed that it's everything's yeah. red and yellow. It starts with the helicopter, which we later yeah. find out is a drone that Sword sent in, and she's reconfigured it. But the the red and yellow when you get that first, this is now in color everything's in shades of red for her, yellow for vision. And in the set dressing, everything's kind of these browns and oranges. It's only um, as we move into sort of the the, the Brady Bunch setup that we start to get uh, green and blue, which are the respective colours of Wanda's and Vision's eyes. Also, um, the colors that uh, their children wear in their superhero personas. Speed has green, has a green and white outfit, mm-hmm. and um, Wiccan wears that blue cloak that he had in the um, that he sort of had that Billy sort of had on in the Halloween episode. Because mm. he basically was wearing the demiurge, the Wiccan slash demiurge outfit. That was the joke there. And uh, the one of the other manifestations is uh, bringing in Pietro. Uh, it was a neat stunt uh, getting, um, what's his name? Evan Peters. Evan Peters, Peters rather than uh, Aaron Taylor-Johnson in. And um, I think it uh, to, to a degree it set expectations way too high on a lot of people's comic nerdometers uh, and may have actually caused more disappointment than it actually um treated us to in terms of uh i, I think that i think that's on on them oh yeah no yeah yeah i'm, I'm not leveling that at the show um exactly yeah no it's it's it's, it's a it's a uh a, a, a side effect um <laughs> yeah i will say that i'm not disappointed that that wasn't supposed that that wasn't the introduction of mutants to the mcu mm-hmm. i am disappointed that it was a fizzle of a joke oh yeah i, I wanted them uh, to do more uh, with it other than a dick joke and all we got was a dick joke and it went away and i understand what they're trying to do they're trying to build something big and then the joke is this is really not important but it just felt disappointing and i don't hate the show i don't think that you know i just think it was a poor choice pietro in the comics is pretty much a dick anyway and no one likes this is true yes i thought it was them throwing shade at fox a little bit of a side eye they were like hey Seven years ago, we met uh, Pietro, and he was hanging around in his basement doing pretty much fuck all. And here he is, hanging around in his attic bedroom doing pretty much fuck all. And he has in no way advanced since then. You had the opportunity, Fox! I did notice, especially on the second viewing, that the moment this addition to their family, snuck in by Agatha, appeared, we went from the... You wander the world with a vision, making it up as we go along that that wistful, nostalgic, even for its time tone of the Family Ties episodes to this kind of on DVD. Thank you, We Hate Movies. Pietro's 
slacker asshole is defining the entire tone for the family now. Like, we're going to film mom while she's brushing her teeth and ah! And then we're going to film dad. And there's this freeze frame on Vision beating his son with a newspaper. And it's like, this has brought out conflict and aggression, but in a fun way. Okay, so yeah, grief uh, as it goes on. The um, the the way it manifests in the show. I actually remember. I think it was the episode where at the end, and I want to say it's the Family Ties episode where she breaks through the um, uh, boundaries and talks directly to Haywood, and then suddenly her Sokovian accent comes straight back, and she's all business. And uh, is then like, no, you will leave this place alone. And then walks back in. I remember seeing someone had a uh, a, uh, a poll up on their um, Twitter feed saying, do you still feel uh, sympathetic to Wanda? And it was a yes, no answer. And I was like, we're halfway through. And that's a very binary response. Uh, it's... I it's that. yes absolutely I still it's the internet so it's got to be in extremes of yeah. i stand for wanda and i will murder anyone who says anything against her or i hate wanda and i i just she must be eliminated from history it's <laughs> they, they shot a missile at her yes i feel so i still feel sympathetic for her for not wanting a missile shot at her. yeah basically okay a binary <laughs> poll like that avoids context at every step mm. But it's great actually, for Twitter. That actually reminds me of the only theory that I stuck to that I didn't even see um, addressed as much as the others was was that Hayward was something more. Um, so on the second watch, uh, watching that scene where he's intending to shoot a missile at what we know as the Scarlet Witch, even pre-reality altering powers, that was a tactical <laughs> error that I can't fathom. Um, and then later on when he's <laughs> talking to her and he says specifically the word soulmate in reference to vision again i mean would the podcast the and podcast have you know portrayed vision as as wanda's soulmate i thought it was really odd choice of words um but that brings up two points that i wanted to get at that are kind of all cycling back to this here that was the only theory that i was disappointed in because it was mine for one thing and and the other thing though i still didn't care when it was all said and done and he was just a sword goon i was like okay i mean you know he was just acting really well he was being a really good actor, good on him. You know? I kind of uh-huh. just wonder if he was trying to play Wanda from the start, get away from Vision's body so they could, spoilers, create white Vision. Mm. And also I wonder if at some point he twigged on that they needed the power that Wanda had to, yeah. to power white Vision. And it was all, in essence, to provoke her to try and get that initial response. And then it was sort of a... Um, like a clean-up thing afterwards. The, sh- I'm, I'm... the sword thing was a bit weak. Mm. It was probably the weakest part of the whole series i do think you're right there though taylor the the 
trying to provoke Wanda to reanimate Vision does, for me, it did two things. First of all, it emphasises how much of a dick Hayward is that he's going to take advantage of somebody's uh, emotional response for that. And secondly, that he doesn't really know what Wanda's powers do. He's assuming she could reanimate him. He doesn't know that for a fact, or even if she could reanimate him, what form that would take. I th- what is his, his words? He says something along the lines of, I mean, I can't stop you from, you know, reanimating him yeah. if you would want to. I, I, You've got the- there's not many people who would be able to reanimate you know, their soulmate. Nudge, nudge. Exactly. I'm not going to re- reanimate yeah. it. But that me. ultimately is not what she does. And the 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 middle episodes do have that sense of yeah. of sort of a gradual bargaining on her part. So she's going through that phase there. She's she's giving grief lessons to the boys and and telling them things that she <sighs> needs to be telling herself. The bit where she kneels down and talks to them about you know some there are rules in life. That piece of acting from Olsen is just some of the best physical TV drama acting I've ever seen because there's so much underneath that those layers. Mm. Just and, and just what she does with her eyes at that point. And she's uh-huh. talking to facets of herself while another uh-huh. facet of herself stands beside her and, and Agatha just sort of sits there drinking it in. I won't even play you an audio clip because the audio doesn't do it justice. It's all in the eyes and the posture. Her performance throughout this whole thing has been so many layered. I, I, it just, I mean, if nothing else, she is by far and away the the most uh, one of the richest Marvel characters, and by far and away the most the, the richest Marvel female character uh, on on the big screen yeah. ever. Yeah, watching her and Bentony play off each other this entire time yeah. was sheer joy from episode one. Yeah. And they have a real mean, chemistry and they always did. Yeah, yes. oh, very much so. It, you know, even their even their small bits in uh what's it called? In Infinity War mm. together, or and the other movies they were in together, obviously War, as well. Age of Ultra. Civil War. Yeah. But particularly Infinity War, just I want to see them. I want to see them interact. I, by the end of this, I did feel that loss that they were feeling because I like the two of them together and I want the two of them together. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when it's not going to work out, it hurt. Yeah. I felt that loss uh, from the second one. I've been feeling it since 2015 when she drops when Pietro is uh, murdered in the street. I did the, Oh yeah. Um, I've always uh, had a um, uh, a large soft spot for Wanda Maximoff uh, in, in the MCU. Um, uh-huh. Deserved a better first film, definitely a better director to a first film. Um, but uh-huh. what they've done with her here, I mean, th- this was an ideal thing for Marvel to do. Again, they had no idea the pandemic w- was coming, and they have the the way things are slotted into place. It feels like the whole of 2021, whether we get back out there in time for cinemas to reopen or not, we've got something Marvel on TV with Falcon and Loki and um, What If coming up as well j- j- it, that will keep this water cooler discussion going on and through and I just pray hope that the Marvel fan base retain a certain level of understanding of what can and can't happen so that they don't turn into say 
I don't know, just picking out of a hat, the DC fan base, what the Star Wars fan base became, what the Star Trek fan base in some capacity became. And just like, can we have one fan base that isn't, like that you can actually have a conversation without someone jumping in and going, okay, fine, I'll just, I'll go. That's us. That's Babylon 5. Oh, yep, yeah, sorry. But, I mean, that's an... If they brought back a new Babylon 5... <sighs> yeah. Now Babylon 5's gone all political. It's yeah. <laughs> oh, all these women aliens. <laughs> oh, gosh. That, that show's literally about, like, the rise of fascism. Anyway, um, I, I'm really Keep grateful... Keep politics off our TV. I'm really grateful that in WandaVision, even though we do have Hayward, who did actually show up specifically to provoke Wanda because he had so Wanda went to Westview created the new vision and Hayward uh, knew about it almost immediately because the vibranium signature was identical to the old one and it popped up on his radar which is why they show up to investigate in the first place it's why he sends Monica anyway Sparky too. <laughs> the main antagonist of this show is grief. Agatha is there and is fabulous oh, and yes. is she's trying to manipulate things, but in the end, like she also legitimately helps Wanda at several points. Yeah. Yeah, she's an evil yeah. therapist. Yeah, kinda. Yeah. I mean she's she's very self- like, she, she's very focused on her own goal, but at the same time, like, everything she's doing is trying to provoke Wanda to see this response. But then the, what is it, episode eight, the previously on? Yeah. Like, she legitimately helps Wanda kind of cope with some of the things that she's experienced. And Agatha, even though episode seven would have us believe that it was Agatha all along, <laughs> it wasn't. It was Wanda's grief. And Hayward shows up and it's like, He's got to be kind of a, 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 a bug in the ointment, so to speak, for Vision and to bring in just the absolute champion characters of Jimmy and Darcy. Oh, um, yes. But uh, in the end, he's not really the antagonist either. And Cataract's only there for like one episode. So it's, it, it is Wanda's grief is the antagonist. And I can't say how much I think that is great because I was so worried that they were going to make it that Agatha had sparked something and it caused the whole hex to happen mm. or you know the the experience that she has in sword with Hayward that like he did something that that sparked it in some other way instead it's just Wanda she legitimately did it and she legitimately caused a lot of pain and suffering to a lot of people who didn't 
who who should not have necessarily been hit in the blast of it, but emotional grief like that leaves human shrapnel and it's um you know much expanded because Wanda is the scarlet witch um but it and it you know of course more of a metaphor because it's a superhero thing but in the end grief is the enemy well, not even enemy grief is just the antagonist grief is the the thing that causes everything to happen yeah you're absolutely right agatha is um and i think that they did a good job of translating her from the comics where she is very much she's chaotic neutral is what it boils down to she has her goals and she will achieve her goals but it doesn't necessarily mean that she is going to do the right or the wrong thing at any given point because those things don't really matter to her. The outcome is what matters to her. When it comes down to it, she was able she's able to manipulate Wanda's grief to her own ends. But part of that also involves getting Wanda to focus that grief and that helps Wanda to deal with it. Mm. She gives her something to concentrate on, which pulls her out of that depressive phase that she finds herself in, in the, the sort of seventh, seventh episode. Yeah. Is that good? Is that good counseling? Good psychology there? Um, I, it's not something I try. <laughs> hey, you're in my you're in my office. Here's what I'm going to make you do. Hate me. That'll make you feel better. No, so, I don't think so. I don't know. Maybe it's just my experience recently, but again, episode eight where Agatha is like, you know, making Wanda go through everything and like recontextualize and confront the actual like sources of her grief, of which are go back way longer than Vision. You know, my own therapist, a lot of our conversations were like, okay, like, tell me about this person. Like, to, like, like in, in a safe environment, which in this case was like a magic-induced, I don't even know what, some kind of vision, uh, some kind of like hallucination. Um, so it was a safe space to re-experience and recontextualize the things that caused your current breakdown. Now, of course, Agatha had her other reasons for it but like some of her comments were genuinely you know some of them were snarky but some of them seemed genuinely like oh darling like you poor thing mm. and well, also things like you've already you. lived through the worst of this it it can't hurt yeah. you again effectively you've, you've describing trauma already. yeah absolutely yeah. It, yeah. it can't hurt you now and ultimately yes when you're going through therapy for trauma in particular but anything that that causes you pain the upshot is if you're going to deal with it you have to confront it in some way because the final phase of all of this is acceptance and I mean I I through all of the things that I've worked through over the years ultimately the turning point for me from going through things in my head are a mess to being able to organize them and, and repair them it's a case of I have to accept things the way they are first. I can't change anything until I recognise and accept. And that's, that is ultimately where Agatha brings her to. You have to look at the fact that he is gone. You have to look at the fact that you have lost and lost and lost and lost again. And 
the the way that she goes about that, I was really, really engaged with. I, I loved all that, all of the, the going back into her memories and um, and the the downside of it, I think, is, is entirely to do with Agatha's motives. What she does mm-hmm. is great. And almost in the context of the of the MCU, obviously, where things have to be done in a superhero-y kind of way, um, they, they are perfect. They, they fit so well. And... It's the the reasons she's doing it ultimately that are the questionable part, and that was probably the the element of how Agatha turned out that I was disappointed in. I thought her motives could have ended up shifting, because ultimately she goes from being somebody in the sixteenth seventeenth century who just desperately wants all of the power of the witches around her to somebody in the twenty first century who wants all of the power of the witches around her, and that there had been no change in Agatha's outlook. She's over the Kurgan. That. 500 years. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Holy ground. <laughs> and the only one. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. To, you know, like Mike was talking about how he wanted, he, he had a theory that Hayward was going to be something more. I desperately wanted Agatha in the last episode, even like it could even stay almost the same, but being depowered, being like, okay, look, you are this, this figure of prophecy. You are the, the Scarlet Witch. Let me help train you. Yes. Because in the end, Wanda needs someone. That to brings help me to, to something very that I really got hit with around about the time when Wanda goes into the sword base the first time. It made me realize this is post end game. Tony Stark is gone. Steve Rogers is gone. T'Challa? Question mark. Uh, Hawkeye, retired. Black Widow, dead. Captain Marvel, who the fuck knows where? She's off saving aliens somewhere. She's not interested in Earth. Problems with Captain Marvel. But we'll, I suppose, address that when we finally get to Ms. Marvel. Um, But, you know, we've we've got Monica Rambeau, who's frankly doing a better job of being a Captain Marvel on the Earth. 100% agree. But that she doesn't turn up till later. She doesn't even get powers until later. What I got a huge sense of was how fucking alone Wanda was. How she, like, she was described in Civil War as she's a kid by Steve. Now, she's not a kid. She's had to grow up really fucking fast. But she's also been deprived of various things that help you mature and integrate into society. She was a lab rat for for years. And all of these Avengers are fucking gone. There's one person who absolutely was required to say, Wanda, I've come to talk to you a little bit about magic. Fucking Doctor Strange, where is he? That's bonkers. Do you know the reason you're going to be dealing with a crazed Wanda in Doctor Strange 2, Doctor Strange? Because where the fuck were you? Because this isn't the... over. This ain't over. I don't over. think that he recognized that what she was doing was magic, though. Yeah. Also... Keep in mind, until the until the end of this series, all it was was experiments by using the Tesseract that yeah. gave her telekinesis and telepathy. Yeah. That's it. We don't we don't realize that it's magic until Agatha points it out. Yeah. She didn't realize but it. Agatha knew, so why yeah. didn't Stephen Because know? right, okay, I'll tell you exactly why. This is the Pratchett question. Uh-huh. There is witch magic and there is wizard magic. Brilliant. And it would yes. appear that the wizards don't get taught what other magic looks like. That's why Merlain says I'm a wizard. <laughs> What's the difference? Well one of them's what I am and, and the other's not what I'm not. not. Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, I think also during through most of Endgame's final fight, wasn't he holding back? Back, like the water from drowning everybody so 
It was a yeah. bit off. It was busy. Oh, that explains why <laughs> yeah. he didn't just, uh, you know, uh, in Ragnarok, when he when Loki comes back and he's like, I've been falling for 30 oh. minutes. Why didn't he just do that with Thanos? He's just a big dude with a sword at that point. He doesn't have the Infinity Gauntlet. He can't come back out of the, the falling place where they sent Bill and Ted. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> am, am I a mineral? Am I a tank? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am. I win that game of 20 questions again. <laughs> um, but yeah, That's- the Time Stone was the Infinity Gem that Doctor Strange very much concerned himself with. Not concerning himself with the girl who derived her powers from the Mind Stone is like saying, well, this is my magic and this is your crazy space science. They're all on the same glove. I'm standing here on another sphere entirely, talking to a witch. Wizard. Sorry. What's the difference? One of those is what I am, one's what I'm not. Oh, makes sense. I think it's because we're having the gap between phase three and phase four stretched what feels like an agonizingly long amount of time for me. I, I've, I, I, I'm still fucking grieving Tony Stark. Um, and then I'm grieving Chadwick Boseman for real. I just, there's just stuff I want to see again and, and experience again. And WandaVision was a sort of a wonderful taste of that. But I, like I said, the thing that I kept feeling when, when Wanda was there is that no one's talking to each other. This is a, an ellipsis between eras for Marvel. And she needed companionship and doesn't have it. She needed I don't know how to be a family. And yet, actually, that makes it makes perfect sense that she would respond to that by going, "What I needed the most was family," and just kind of creating her own. Like it's it's actually no wonder that she's able to do this. Mm. Well, it's sparked by the fact that that Vision has given her this deed for the property. Yeah. Here's, here is the the framework of something that you can create for yourself. And that's having lost her family at such a young age, having lost her home at such a young age, having lost her fucking country mm. at such a young age, yeah. being in a position where she can look at the world and go, I have literally nothing. I have nothing left. Right, fine, uh, fuck you all, I'm going to build something that's just for me. The problem is that, that as that expands and the house is not sufficient to contain everything that she's feeling, it ends up pulling other people into the field of it. There was someone else, actually, Cosmic, who could absolutely have helped to mentor her in some way. And he was like, well, I'm just going to go off and hop around space with these reprobates and their weed wagon. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, just going to give all of Asgard to this girl I met. And just, I, I'm, Valkyrie's yes. fucking more than capable of running new Asgard. But again, just fucking, what, what, just give me it now. But, yeah, <laughs> so fun, fundamentally, if, if all Wanda had done had been to build a house on this property that was her, so she's not even taking land that belongs to somebody else, technically. Yeah. Um, then and and then created Vision and created Billy and Tommy, and the four mm. of them had just stayed in the house and and lived out whatever it was that she needed to go through. She could have sustained that indefinitely, and it's not affecting anybody else, and that's fine. The issue. Comes, and Nick Fury could have visited and said, I, "I heard you need a stipend to buy groceries. You only need <laughs> enough for one, right?" <laughs> Um, but, but ultimately, the, the point where this becomes a problem is because she is manipulating other people. Yeah. And she is uh, she's having to 
use other people to maintain this safe and happy image that she's created. The most disturbing aspect yeah. of it is the children. They they breeze over this one lightly, but um, it turns out... Not her children, not everybody her children. else's children. Everybody else's children. There's barely any other kids sort of hanging around in, in these, or if any, uh, except for at Halloween, where it feels like she kind of created them. But... Um, she took them out. Yeah. She let them out. She put them out. Did she put them out of the um, hex? Yeah, she took them... Right. Oh, uh, no, she took them out of their bed. She's, uh, Pietro talks about this with her. Okay. Then so she Dottie. keeps them asleep in their rooms most of the time. Whoa. And then Dottie confirms in the last episode. Yeah, just please let me see my kids. But how many days yeah. does this actually go on for? I don't think it's more than a week. Yeah, but, it's not, okay, it's still, but super long. You can't just make a child sleep for a week. They will dehydrate badly. <laughs> like, Magic. It's magic. A wizard did it. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. A witch literally did. a wizard did it. Uh, well, literally a witch did it. I mean, yeah. come on, man. You <laughs> just went over this. I know. You're right. Um, a witch did it. Okay. Magic, you don't have to explain it. Yeah. So, I mean, this is so that she's not literally choking children with these, like, manipulative strings. But it still raises so many friggin' questions. Well, the whole thing raises ethical questions, yeah. right? Ethical considerations. She even has that conversation with Pietro, too. Yeah, but as design. we're talking about grief before we move on into other things, I was just thinking that Monica Rambeau is the other character that is grieving. Yeah. And she believes that she can relate to Wanda because, you know, Wanda is grieving the loss of somebody very close to her and Monica is grieving the loss of somebody very close to her, even though, like, it happened a long time ago. For, Wanda, or for Monica, it's very new. And... Monica deals with it by, like, in that moment where she's crossing through the hex, she's being fractured into these different versions of herself, in a way. Like, it's depicted, like, with all of the lines that we have from people from Captain Marvel, from Jimmy, from earlier in this in the show and everything. Mm -hmm. And coalesces that, just, like, is like, no, I am all of these people. Like, it decides to, as she says, feel her pain, because it is her truth. And there's something, like nice about that and, and it's like fine advice for grieving but it also comes off as so fundamentally naive when episode 8 happens immediately afterwards because Wanda's not just grieving Vision Wanda's grieving Vision twice and her brother and her city and her home and her parents and so much more yeah. the that, life that she was going to build mm. yeah like Wanda's grieving her past and her future, mm. but that and no, I was just gonna say, and and Monica like fundamentally can only relate to part of that, mm. and could have been a really good friend and tries to be a really like somebody who can like relate to and talk to, but in the end, like Wanda needs more than just one person who understands one part of what she's going through. Mm. Yeah, and this, yeah. I think, is is the fundamental difference between how we tend to portray grief and, and loss in open society and how complex and compounded grief can actually be, especially for people where the grief is all woven in with trauma, because... There's, there, is a, there is a difference. There is ultimately a difference between losing a, a, a parent to an illness, which is effectively what's happened to Monica, albeit that obviously that is compounded by the fact that she wasn't there. Um, but that happening in a relatively isolated environment where there's not much 
else difficult going on in your in your situation and losing your entire family in a war zone those are different kinds of grief and they need mm. different kinds of approaches to address fundamentally there this actually brings me back to a line from Frasier of all things this was uh, we watched all of Frasier um around about uh, like around the early 2000s it came out on complete dvd by the, say, uh-huh. the mid 2000s and it's a kind of repetitive show it's fun i like it um i haven't we watched it in years it did definitely help me to keep an eye out when people behave strangely or aggressively or with overt emotional responses to wonder what it is that's troubling them on some level not necessarily to pry about it but just to keep it in mind that everyone even people who haven't necessarily experienced something terrible recently might be acting on things that occurred to them a long while ago but the line was and it was actually in reference not to a death but to a breakup um that grieving is effectively re-examining over and over again sometimes the life you thought you were going to have and having to come to terms with sometimes with great difficulty sometimes with inability the life that you now do have mm-hmm. yeah i can relate to that directly i made the joke several times in the past month that i suddenly have a really good answer to what would i do with a time machine And playing through that scenario in my head, like, you know, you grieve what you were going to have and you focus on it. Yeah. You're effectively having to jump from the path you were on and the direction that things were going in for you to a new path that can sometimes look very, very different. And there is a lot of whiplash involved in that. And Wanda ends up nearer the end when she realizes the magnitude of all this, experiencing something very few of us will, which is, I mean, it's it's effectively, she had a life planned out with these children that were never hers. And this is from part of a Marvel storyline, but I'm, I'm amazed and very gratified that they managed to handle this with such sensitivity. The children don't exist, and she is having to effectively grieve for what she thought her children were going to be. Mm, yeah. it's, mm-hmm. it's, it, that is an applicable scenario to a lot of expectant parents or parents who have lost children, but it twists itself around. Mm. I think the way it's portrayed here, though, one of the things that I found particularly um, beautiful about the way that was handled, melancholy and incredibly deeply deeply sad though it was is that when the hex dissolves and the world that she's created falls away what Wanda ultimately does is she reintegrates them these are parts of herself that she has externalized it is not a coincidence that they are twins she's externalized a version of herself and Pietro and the childhood that they couldn't have because a bomb fell on their house 
She's yeah. reintegrating that. She externalized her memories of vision because she couldn't handle examining the good times when she was feeling so much pain. And at the end, when he disappears into the, the yellow energy of the Mind Stone, it loops around her hands. She is reabsorbing it. It is the way she produces magic in reverse. She's bringing him back into her because now maybe she has the strength and the ability to be able to look at that. And it's it's not come without a cost. She is going to have to deal at some point with what will now be guilt, regret, shame over the things that she did to the people of Westview, over the things that she's done in her life before that, before Ultron came along. She was on a very, very um, dangerous, threatening, potentially harmful path for herself and other people sooner or later she's going to have to address that whether she will in the mcu or not i don't know but as a person as a character sooner or later that's going to rear its head as well but she's doing these things now she's walking them backwards and that's what you do when you start to try and unpick this stuff in something like therapy or, or some other means that you are uh, able to examine yourself you kind of have to do it backwards you've got to start where you are um I, I, somebody said or i read somewhere i can't remember where that um that healing yourself and and um regenerating yourself when you've been through something terrible is it's like working with a gps system you can know where you want to be but you you stand no chance of getting there if you don't know where you are you've got to work out where you are first and that's what she is ultimately able to do there are obviously like countless different kinds of grief but um one of the things that i've come to realize uh, recently enough anyway um it, so I, I lost my father to cancer 11 years ago um it was a long process it was uh, he was given six months and he lasted a year and a half um that whole ordeal I, at the time i wondered what would it be better if he was just gone would it be better and as time has processed as i've gotten away from that and and uh, victoria's not the only one i've spoken to who's dealt with things like this um, I don't think so. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't know exactly how to process that if you haven't processed both. Um, but Wanda is definitely dealing with God, literal snaps. Um, not to mention the the traumatic way that that everything has been taken away from her. Everything. Um, but when you're in a grief situation, um, it's kind of funny where your brain goes. <laughs> it this this. <clears throat> this really brings home to me something that's been really important to me more increasingly over the last couple of years. And I think it's starting to be a cultural conversation, especially with the fact of you have, especially like the Babadook and that's grief and regret are starting to be major themes in our culture. And I, I became a fan of, um, of Caitlin Doty of, the order of the good death and the idea of making peace with your own death and making peace with the fact that the people you love will eventually die. And I also became fascinated with other cultures that have rituals and have festivals surrounding death. Specifically the ones that I am most aware of are the Obon Festival of Japan and uh, 
Dia de los Muertos in Mexico. And I feel like as a society, we desperately, desperately, we need a collective addressing of grief. We need a regular way and, and, you know, not even necessarily related to religion, but way to deal with the fact that this is the most universal human experience, period. Like, we all will die, and, you know, whatever you believe about the afterlife, that's a separate thing, yeah. but we're all, at some point in our lives, going to deal with people we care about dying. And we desperately need some some way as a society to deal with that. And I feel like like these horror movies and the show are fumbling towards that and like in inches and crawling towards that of of hey, we actually need to talk about this. We need to deal with this in a formal way. And I think I think it's wonderful that we're doing this, that we're we're starting to come to that place. And I think it's it's honestly it's it's really beautiful that this superhero thing which is a lot of people are like oh yeah there's no there's no you know maturity in the MCU with silliness blah 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 whatever bullshit which bullshit but for a lot of reasons but I think that like it's amazing that this show about superheroes it's a show about grief mm. and that's staggering and I think like we have not fully processed and I, I think the like that is going to look more and more amazing the further we go forward hmm. my entire book series is predicated on grief uh, uh, the thing that initiates it is a pandemic I started writing this in 2013 <laughs> it that oh. it being a global pandemic means that everybody in it is a survivor who has lost someone so everyone shares this scarring to some degree um and now we're still going through our own fucking pandemic and it's scarring us as we speak yeah. uh, i think debbie for, makes for people who haven't read it yet tiger's eye is honestly one of my go-to when i talk about things that deal with grief really really well i mean alex absolutely nailed nailed that with that character I'm sorry. Go on, please, Sharon. I, the one of the things that that you make, uh, one of the points you make there, Debbie, which is really, really crucial, is the idea of collectively dealing with grief as well. Mm. Part of why Wanda ends up having to go to such extremes is because, as Alex pointed out, she's completely isolated. All of the people who are part of her experiences of all of this loss are in themselves part of the loss. So who does she have to share that with? And Victoria, as you shared with us, being able to talk to somebody who had a familiarity with the person that you had lost was really, really key mm. because you need to be able to share that. And one of the things that is affecting um, everybody so much with regards to the pandemic is that the nature of it is such that 
grieving collectively for the people that you lose becomes incredibly difficult. One of the things Can't even that have I, funerals. Well, that's I, I don't know how other countries are, are dealing with it, but I know in the UK it, it's become a situation where obviously you you have to have funerals. You can't just leave people until this is all done with, but you can't have gatherings. They've they've whenever there's a lockdown, the number of people who are allowed to go to a funeral is severely limited, and you're supposed to I can't imagine that there are many people who feel able to stick to this you're supposed to sit socially distanced not hug people there will be no holding of one another that's the you whole... can't comfort your grieving aunt exactly. you'll give her Covid but that's the whole yeah. point of a, of a funeral of, of being able to say goodbye in a way that you can share that physically and touch somebody else and, and feel like you know what this is horrible and we all feel terrible but we are still here and we, we do have the people that are left here and physical touch is a way of communicating that to your mind and that was actually something that that I kept thinking when when Wanda was having to say goodbye to everybody at the end she's she's hugging her children but she's not she's holding vision but she's not she was there in that house on her own There's a, there's a shame involved too. Um, my grandfather passed away during the pandemic. Um, not, uh, not from COVID. He, he was 93, but, um, my family ended up holding a funeral and I didn't go. Um, I don't live down there. And, uh, I, I asked them actually, if we could just try and wait, just, you know, just a little bit longer till, you know, maybe things clear up and, and I could go and, uh, and they didn't. And I don't think anybody held it against me, but I feel I hold it against me. So when my, <sighs> when my mom passed away, um, one of the things that she wanted to make sure, uh, at her funeral after was she said that she, my mom to a T, she didn't want anyone to be sad because it was not a sad time. She had cancer, um, and she went very quickly, unfortunately. And um, so instead of having, I think we can say, I guess it's like we had a meeting, a gathering after the funeral, and no one was, no one was sharing stories of my mom's life, and it was strange for me because. I was having to try and cope with everything. I was trying to... So, you know, this is the first time where I lost someone and I was kind of the one who had to be the adult and, and sort everything. So, for me, I wasn't grieving. I was just, you know, just... One job, next job, next job, next job. But having the people around at the um, wake and just hearing people talk about my mum and it... It, it blew my mind because it wasn't sad. There was people sharing stories. My mum was a driving instructor. My mum used to be a landlady. You know, she had a lot of interaction with people. And, like, her last <laughs> her last um, student was there with her mum. And she'd had several driving instructors and had struggled all the way up until she had my mum. 
my mum helped to pass. So it's like, and hearing these stories of how my mum had been involved in people's lives, even from the smallest, smallest little, you know, thing like just being a driving instructor or just, you know, being a friend to, to someone and celebrating life. It was great because there wasn't sadness and it was a, a celebration of things, but it was so hard for me to hear because it took me so long to, to, um, to get to a point where I could accept things because I had to be the adult and, and do things and uh-huh. it was it was oddly it was more helpful than anything because it was a reminder that yes you've lost this person that this person isn't in your life anymore but that yeah. you could see the lives that they'd touched and the effect that they'd had on other people and the good that, that they'd done and um, well that that was helpful therapy was better oh, don't get me wrong yeah. therapy helped a lot better <laughs> um, but um, yeah. you know it was a good healing point for me because I also lost my dad when I was a teenager to cancer same thing killed both my parents so yay oh. so, I've got crazy long gorilla arms and I really wish I could hug you all because holy crap yeah my uh, mom was very worried about me when she learned she was going to pass because I took my dad's death very badly yeah. I fell apart very badly and she was very concerned that I would do the same when she left yeah my family's always dealt with grief by finding ways to celebrate life uh, I remember when my uncle Jack died I was 14 years old it was the first time I got drunk not out of grief but because my cousins came down from New Jersey and just kept feeding me wine and then we found a bottle of Sambuca that my grandfather when he was alive had made in the back of a liquor cabinet and it was basically just Italian moonshine. <laughs> and we we drank. Nice. My cousins got even drunker than I did. They were, uh, they were all adults at this day. point. Uh, one of that, <laughs> my cousin, my cousin uh, Pat, uh, the number three, because there are five Pasquales in my family. Um, or my cousin Nikki pushed my cousin Pat into the pool while in his full suit. Oh, and then we had to kind of fish him out and put him in my uncle's that just passed his bed just to kind of uh, sleep it off. Um, that is some serious a, shit. Yeah. yeah it was, <laughs> but it was a party. And that's what my Uncle Jack wanted. He's like, I want you to celebrate. I want you to have a, you know, have a party for it. Um, my grandmother, when she passed, it was after years and years of um, dementia, just sort of bringing her down to the point that... Um, she didn't even recognize my mother, which in a way was good because she was incredibly abusive to my mother basically her entire life. To be clear, that's her daughter. Yeah. This was her mother, his mother's mother. Yeah. Um, but, you know, when she had the dementia, she was very nice to my mother because my mother was, quote, the lady who takes care of me. Oh. Uh, but there was a time, and we like to tell this story because, again, it helps with the grief to think of this joke. So my mother was sitting next to my grandmother's bed, and my grandmother was just zonked out and just really seemed to have no sense of the world around her. And my mother starts praying, and she says, God, please just let me know that my mom is still in there. And for a moment, my grandmother's eyes clear, and she seems alert for the first time in months. And she looks over at my mom, and she says... Se prigro, which means you're lazy in Italian, and then immediately collapses again. And my mom started laughing because she's like, "Yeah, that was my mom. She's still in there." <laughs> she sounds worse than Bojack's mom. <laughs> she's not. She, 
she was wonderful to me. It's just she was, but she was terrible to my mom, and I recognize that. Right. Oh yeah, God, my, my this... grandmother was a complex woman. This has been a heavy show. So um, how about yeah. those lighthearted comic book, uh, <laughs> adjacent? Darcy, uh, she's yeah. a cult. Yeah. Uh, can we talk about how, like, all of the women actors in this show went above and beyond even the kind of background ones? Mm. Like, Deborah Jo Rupp, I, I love her for everything. Kitty Foreman is easily one of my biggest role models. Um, but... She was so great in this, particularly when she gets to drop out of the kind of silly affectation and be serious for a second. Mm. You know, that it just watching her say, if you can't let us leave, can you at least let us die? I was floored by that. <sighs> Dottie is the character name. Um, Emma Caulfield. Thank you. That's her. Emma, yeah. Emma Caulfield. Uh, her bits were just so well done. Um, and of course, Kat Dennings, I love her in everything. And Catherine Hahn really ought to get an, an Emmy for this. Um, and am I the only one who, um, when she was being coy or gave that wink, found that incredibly attractive? I <laughs> said it. No, no, Carrie, you are not the only one. No. <laughs> I mean, I keep seeing Agatha, it on my Twitter feed, and I'm like, oh, ruffle. Agatha, yeah. Agatha yeah. hits on Wanda like every episode. Like, yes. I mean, look, look at the outfit. If Agatha Harkness were the witch in The Witch, I too would have just wandered into her cabin in oh, the middle yeah. of the woods. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. What's the like to work out deliciously? <laughs> look at Agatha in episode five, the family ties one when the kids grow up and she's just sitting there. There is no heterosexual ans- like reason for this. No. It's just yeah. like, okay, Agatha, mm. fine. Indeed. Also, I want all of her outfits, but that's different. Mm. Mm. This Mainly is what kind of disappointed me at the end that. that she ended up being this cackling. <laughs> I want your powers, my pretty. And I mean, it's... at that point, you just got to lean into it. Yeah. I don't know. She chews oh, yeah. the scenery the, the whole time. Agatha Why would she stop? She ends like, up oh, basically God. being, uh, she was persecuted as a witch, even by other witches, which caused her to lean into the power and control and revel in it. And ultimately, Wanda has to be better than her. But... We're still in the grip of, at this point, like, Wanda's just fucking used chokers on everyone. The reason why this is such a difficult expression of grief is because it manifests itself so passive-aggressively and then aggressive-aggressively. The, um, you know, when they're saying, you know, when we dream, we dream your nightmares. When you let us sleep, we have your nightmares. Mm -hmm. And Wanda doesn't want this, but... There's a, a corrosiveness to her grief, which doesn't go with all grief at, at all. Like, as, as you said, Victoria, you never got to the anger stage or you're not there yet. But Wanda seemingly has turned that anger into force. And that's why the poll. That's why do you feel sorry for Wanda or not? And that's also why you can't possibly answer that one because... As it, you, you could, but you couldn't answer it with full possession of the facts in a way that is nuanced. Because ultimately, when it comes down to it, if your division is, I will feel sorry for people who are grieving, provided they hurt absolutely no one, that is an ethical line to take. And it is conditional compassion. But it's also a tall order. 
But yeah. I, I would say that ties in with, because to, to ask that question that way, what the implication is, and whether the person who created the poll intended it or not, the implication is, where is your line? Yeah. What will Wanda have to do? Was it breached in this episode? Before you no longer feel sorry for her. Yeah. And and ultimately, I mean, I, I don't know about anybody else, but for me, feeling feeling for somebody, not necessarily feeling sorry for them, but feeling for somebody is not a switch that flicks on or off depending on what that person has done. Um, but the You can feel great, great disappointment in someone, fear for someone, mm. f- uh, anger at someone, and, and still, still pity feel them. for them, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, but the... Phantom of the Opera, perfect example. There's no reason why at the end of that film we should be sad for the Phantom. Mm. He's a motherfucker. And plenty of people aren't, but plenty of people are. Mm. But this ties in with what we were saying about the the complexity of grief. And and when there are traumatic incidents involved, then it will manifest itself in different ways. But I think for me, and again, this is not the, the view of it that everybody will have had, but for me, it is possible to read... The, the control that Wanda has over Westview as, in part, that choking, uh, compressive effect that suburbia has in and of itself. And this is what the yes. whole sitcom framework kind of shaped out for me. And this is, let's face it, we've talked to, to, about this before when we've talked about various horror movies. There is a reason that modern horror has a tendency to have a suburban setting the the feeling that you are surrounded by an environment where things are done a certain way and woe betide you if you do things a different way and ultimately and again this brings me full circle right back around to what i said at the beginning the natural enemy of the suburb is the witch because she brings things into the environment that the environment says should not be there and yet and, they are essential things. And going along with what I was saying earlier and tagging onto what you're saying, Sharon, is the fact that we we need to get rid of this idea that grief should look a certain way. Well, that really that we should behave a certain way, period. That's that's a whole other thing. But specifically in this case, that there's a right way to grieve. No, there fucking isn't. Mm, yeah. And the fact that so much of the time the reason that someone is grieving hurts other people has a lot more to do with those societal expectations. And, and yes, absolutely. People who are grieving do lash out and the, you know, those kinds of things. And not to say that they don't hurt other people that it's, they absolutely do sometimes, but how much of that is because they're not behaving the way we expect to, them to. Yeah. They're not grieving the right way, in air quotes. Yeah, and but, in yeah. some cases, Relevant. it's not oh. It's not the how, it's the how long. It's the, okay, you've, yeah. you've been doing this for X amount of time now, you should be done with it. Put a lid on it and put it away. And that completely ignores the fact that there are facets of of loss that can rear up and bite you decades later mm-hmm. and you yeah. didn't expect them to because somebody told you you should be done with that one now put it in a box and put it away and that is not mm-hmm. how it works it's it's not going to disappear just because somebody else says it's time 
Yeah, and isn't that the case with a lot of mental health issues? Uh, we we we've been seeing it recently with people being well. Meghan Markle didn't seem like she was depressed or suicidal. Fuck you! Don't even get me started on him. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't talking about him specifically. Oh, okay. But, yeah. him too. <laughs> no, I mean, there were plenty of people joining his clarion yeah, call of "Let's not so. feel the least bit of sympathy." Yeah. For yeah. anyone, yeah. like let's just shut off empathy people. at the fucking gate, shall we? Yeah, yeah. And we are at a really sensitive point for. Do you feel um, sorry for Meghan Markle? Yes, no. <laughs> yes, there you go. Um, but the, we, we are at a really sensitive point in in uh, history for how mental health issues are dealt with socially because we've we've got like loads of people saying, talk about it. Come and share it. Find somebody to reach out to. And it, it puts so much weight on the person who is hurting to make all the running. And here's the problem. When you've asked two or three people to help you because you feel so awful that you know you can't help yourself, and those two or three people haven't got the time or haven't got the resources or or just flat out don't understand what you're talking about, you get tired you, you lose the ability to reach out because every time you get told now's not the right time or are you sure you should still be feeling that now? It's, it's just we're at that kind of there's a hinge point going on. There's, there's a recognition that people need to reach out, but there's still not enough people on the other side reaching back. One of the things I think that the poll and I don't even know if it's possible, like just possible or, or just likely that the show is missing is the it's not that um, do you sympathize with this person? Yes. No. Um, because I think what the what that poll is missing is that you can sympathize with a person and that person who's grieving does still have responsibility. Mm. I'm not sure that WandaVision dealt with that properly mm, no um, yeah. and, I, and i don't know that it could i mean wanda walking away at the end who's gonna stop her sure but man that just leaves that whole wanda did horrible horrible things yeah. and so to tie that into the poll i definitely sympathize and empathize with wanda i don't think that any of that justifies anything that she did it even accidentally she because did, she okay. realized days before this ended what was going on she may have realized before even then that we saw and she didn't stop Mm. well that i think they they deal with it with kind of one line which again is a line i really really like it probably could have done with some expansion but i think by this point they're really running out of, of real estate to do that but when monica says to her they'll never know what you sacrificed for them and her response is very accurately it wouldn't change how they see me ultimately what what she's given up and what she's lost, she's recognising at that point that that is not relevant to these people. And that's something that she is going to have to deal with at some point. Yeah. Well, and, and, and also absolutely true. Also the fact that it highlights that she didn't have anywhere else to go. Not that, mind you, that doesn't justify what she did. And I'm not saying it makes okay what she did. But what the fuck was she supposed to do? And again, which highlights, you know, the the failures in our society that she had no community to go to in a healthy way. Mm. And if someone doesn't have a community to go to in a healthy healthy way, they're probably going to go to a community in an unhealthy way. 
Yeah, in a way, that's how she ended up with Hydra to begin with. Mm, it's how yeah. that's how almost anybody ends up becoming a terrorist, right? Like that's uh, almost. I guess we're not talking about a certain kind of terrorist, but we also uh-huh. that there's one very important thing which almost nobody can relate to, um, apart from Monica again. Wanda was blipped. She was dusted. She disappeared for five years and then came back. And like everybody else who that happened to, was out of step with the entire rest of the world. Mm. And, you know, turned up at this massive battle of just absolute confusion. And she was like, oh, a giant gaggle of women. Well, this feels progressive. Let's move forward with that. And then the <laughs> aftermath, she's taking part in mourning Tony Stark whilst feeling desperately alone without vision and it happened to her yesterday Mm. and it actually happened five years ago feeds into what i was saying about the time frame thing everybody else saying why is this still upsetting you it was five years ago and in her head in her case it's literally this just happened yeah yeah also everybody has come together to mourn tony stark whither are those mourning for vision yeah called natasha yeah, exactly. The core yeah. Avengers at least acknowledge Natasha. Yeah. That's about it. Yeah. Uh, the, as I recall, um, I haven't seen Endgame for a long while. We've been working through the MCU, and it feels odd just like, should we put on Endgame today? Like, it just, you don't just <laughs> watch it on its own. That's never going to happen, I can tell you that um, now. I'm never going to be in that mood. <laughs> the Endgame mood. i, I got three hours to spare, and my head... Yeah, I, I hate myself today. Why not? It's a (laughs) wonderful movie. As I recall, didn't Hawkeye talk to her, which reaffirms the connection they had back in Age of Ultron? Yeah. (sighs) Hawkeye is basically the last shot, or towards the end of the last shot, is her and Hawkeye standing by, I think it's the river. Yeah, because he's mourning Natasha as well, and they've got their own. That was a a lovely touch. But as as we've illustrated, as this whole show has illustrated, it wasn't enough Mm. by any means to prevent this happening. Oddly enough, now you're making me think about it, it also demonstrates that Marvel seems to have a thing about people handling grief very badly because Hawkeye becomes a monster. And I don't care how you phrase it, uh, he clink goes all psycho. Yeah. Yeah. And his his exact words are, don't give me hope, which is not so much the opposite of grief, but it is a way of coping with grief Mm. to be able to re-embrace hope. Yeah. Well, when you feel like your entire world has been filled with this grey cotton wool that Mm. just absorbs everything and won't let you feel anything really whether good or bad because the the bad would be too painful so the good doesn't have any space um anything that that gives you like a little just a tiny bit of light through that Mm. can be incredibly valuable and he's pushing it away i always equate um there's a, a music video by lord royals which to me, is like they filmed depression, and it's just a, a, a just a normal British house. I think I think it's British, uh, but it's it's unfurnished or it's barely furnished, and it's it's got nothing going on. There's just magnolia walls, and there's that kind of weak half light that we get a lot in the UK, where it's it's not nourishing sunlight, and that it doesn't make colours pop, and everything's kind of a cream monochromatic grey. That looks like a Zack Snyder movie. Even that yeah. depression doesn't have those those that contrast for me. It's it's the sort of the the weird, unpleasant, headache-inducing softness of the thing. Mm. And in episode 
seven, breaking the fourth wall, the one which is more like the office where she's talking directly to the camera. She's like, I'm just going to have a me day today. And she's wandering around in her pajamas and she can't even connect with her kids who are right there. Mm. And Vision's gone because he's disappeared on the Halloween trail. It's got that quality of light. It has that quality of light. And yet you can see green and blue and red and it's bright and it's Marvel. But something that they've done Mm. gives it that listlessness, that sense of just, I can't even make a step forward that that is definitely a, an england thing um or a, a britain mainland thing i i still remember the first time i went to ireland and specifically the irish countryside when i was about i must have been about 1920 and i was stood there staring at grass going I've is never that seen what grass green like actually that looks like. Did Willy Wonka make this grass? Yeah, because I'm so used. You have to... now found the reason for empire. <laughs> well, yeah, I've now because I, spices and colors. Well, yeah, but as somebody pointed out the other day, we went out into the world, took all their spices, and then refused to eat any of them. What's that all about? I want it a little bit milder. Yeah. But yeah, so that just just that contrast between two islands that are next to each other for fuck's sake. So I don't know what it is about the British mainland that that. Colours just don't look like colours. You know, I can't see colours. But, uh, yeah, um, we've kind of gone around the block on this one. I think we're kind of winding down because I I, I don't know quite how much more I can talk about grief without actually getting genuinely depressed. Um, And it's it's, it's a lot to ask of even just of our listeners at this one. Um, Let's talk about a couple of things we really liked about the show before we go. Um, I'll I'll just say very quickly the intro sequences and the the music that came with them were from this uh, uh, male female com- uh, composer duo, and they've got this dun, 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 like that that just those four notes Wonder Vision, and they feature in all in all the intro music. It's different when she's finally gone full witch at the end and there's a whole nother new theme there. But that WandaVision, they, the music in this doesn't get anywhere near enough credit because everything else yeah. is, is also so fantastic. Yeah, they wrote uh, that, Let It Go. Who, yeah. Oh, so that makes all kinds of sense. Yeah, Christoph Beck was uh, one of the primary uh, composers on this as well. And he, he did, did uh, all... Yeah, he did Ant-Man. He did all of the best themes from Buffy, other than the you know opening theme. Mm-hmm. Um, but he did Buffy and Angel. And basically, anytime you felt something while watching those shows, I can guarantee Christoph Beck's music was playing in the background. 
Nice. I'm just going to name check these composers. Uh, Robert Lopez and uh, Kristen Anderson Lopez. So it's a husband and wife uh, then. Um, yeah. Who just uh, just fantastic job. Well done. School of Movies was filmed in front of a live studio audience. And now a word from our sponsors. Aaron Lecluse, Abel Savard, Alex Outrich, Angus Lee, Benjamin Hoffer, Brian Novak, Cassandra Newman, Chris Finnick, Christopher Wolfe, Kieran Datchler, Connor Kennedy, Dan Mayer, Daniel Salguero, Dan Hepner, Dave Hickman, David Sheely, Duran Barnett, Evan Jankowski, Finbar Nicole, Frankie Punzi, Greg Downing, Jameis Enright, Jesse Ferguson, Joe Crow, Joel Robinson, Johan Clayson, Joe G, Kat Esman, Kevin Vahey, Lorraine Chisholm, Mark Luksh, Matthew A. Siebert, Matthew Webb, Michael Hasco, Sarah Montgomery, Tim Wazenski, Timothy Green, Toby Yogius, Tom Painter, Trey Contreras, and Valencia Burns. Just a kind of a MCU-based question on this. Considering the way Wanda's powers worked, did the background music, like, was it audible? Oh, was it diegetic people? or non-diegetic? Yeah, that's the word. I feel yeah, like anyway. it would have to be diegetic because they filmed it in front of a studio audience, or did they? I, mean, I love the bit where she comes back at the end of her uh, flashbacks and she sees the house set, and it's like the Dick Van Dyke show, but now it's in color. And then she looks up and she sees these lights, the spotlights, that uh-huh. she's not only made the house and the sort of the idea that people are laughing at, uh, the, the antics that were going on inside, but she made the studio around herself. It was absolutely a conscious effort. And they, they when they did the effects, rather than just using digital effects to make things dance around in the 50s, they had loads of tiny little wires sort of bouncing the stuff that Wanda was making levitate. They went for the authenticity and the raw energy of effectively theatre, performing in one take in front of the audience this is how the uh, that the show is going to go, and just having that energy, it was, it's extremely well done. Even if it is cringe to a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, I have to say, I just love the simple. And we mentioned we mentioned um, Darcy, but both she and Jimmy Woo, the simple humanity, mm. and their friendship is so sweet. Yeah, and both of them like, like. They they feel like pe- they feel like my friends. Yeah, they feel like people I know and I care about, and it's just like like their reactions are. There's so much audience insert going on there, and it's so lovely. There's it's, a big it, uh, sorry. It's just wonderful. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. I was gonna say there's a big like on like four different places I frequent on the internet are are begging Marvel for uh, X Files with with those two. Like an MCU yes, yes, X Files yes, with yes, those two, yes, and I'm like, yes, please, please sign me please, up. Please, yeah, please. call it Agents of Atlas. Definitely take all of those props that you had of old style TVs and put them in a flying saucer so they could travel around. Uh, <laughs> I, I want, I, I want that so bad. Jimmy got so much great development during this. Yes. I mean, he was, he was a good comic foil in Ant Man with. A touch of humanity and a little bit of a wink and a nod to, I know you're not a bad guy, but I've got to go through the forms of things. He's and such this, an adorable dork. Yeah, yes. he is. Yes, yes. You know, and uh, Randall Park, every one of his deliveries was deadpan, but with that smirk just hiding behind it. Like, I know what you think of me. Mm-hmm. 
And, you know, when, when the flourish joke came back after he got out of the handcuffs, I was like, yes, that, that's what I want to hear. Nice. Absolutely. And you are, you're so right about Cat uh, Dennings as well. I, I mean, I loved Darcy as a character before this. She is superb here. Her, her delivery, the way she's managed to be so consistent to the character as, as she'd set her up before, given that before she wasn't working with very much at all. And can I just say, by the way, while we're on the subject of, did I leave the oven on or is that just you? <laughs> that circus suit, oh my God. It wasn't yeah. just me. Okay. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. It also was it the uh, being chained up or? Oi! Uh, <laughs> I'm just asking for other. I wasn't asking you specifically. Um, and also the like the, the behind the scenes stuff when Agatha has Wanda effectively kind of trussed up with her arms behind him and like just sort of suspended. Um, yeah. Anyway, moving on. Uh, <laughs> are, you, are you remembering Wonder Woman? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what's happening right now? Every damn day. Uh, well, going back a little bit, though, mm-hmm. um, literally the best thing about uh, Thor: The Dark World was uh, Cat Dang saying "Mew Mew." Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I did say She's actually, also like a she made follow on Twitter. Actually, I just followed I just... her. Actually, oh, me nice. too. <laughs> Last night. She's great. Yeah. I love how many little comments or references are kind of blink and you miss it and they all tie together in this like ridiculously cohesive way like when she expands the hex to pull um the vision back in after he emerges from it and it covers the sign for westview Mm. and the sign converts it changes and in that brief second you get to see that the like motto of the town changes to home is where you make it and it's just like so spot on like it's it's so specifically referential to what's happening and like almost like wanda's subconscious is rewriting things to talk about this the commercials are another good example especially in the later episodes with like the friggin ssri ad for nexus mm. where anchor yeah. you to the world of your choice because right. the world doesn't is, revolve around you or does it uh, is just, that a yeah. reference to the star trek nexus uh, where shatner basically yeah. imagines his ideal uh, place it's a reference to Man-Thing, who is the nexus of all realities, oh. and also Howard the Duck's best friend. <laughs> right. I, I, Dar- I, I, another callback right there is Darcy actually, Darcy's first, one of Darcy's first lines is, uh, we're in a clown car, and then what happens to all the sword stuff? Oh, it does turn uh, into yeah. a clown car! Oh, my lord. I'm yeah. going to be re- really sad and say that one, th- one of the things I really love from the show is that Scarlet Witch costume. <gasps> oh, yes. 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 Um, I mean, so all of them. The comic is iconic, but it's not a great look. It's no. not one I'm a big fan of, but that costume that they gave her is fantastic. Do you and mean the, the final yeah. witch costume? The final one, yeah. Yeah, yeah and, the, and the fact that it echoes her, um, her red leather coat coat dress yeah. from um, she's always kind of been approaching that yeah anyway, yeah yeah um oh we've not mentioned the ship of theseus they deliberately evoked man of steel when the two visions are having the first scrap and one slams the other into the pavement and grinds him through that is a literal Zack snyder shot when um cal's fighting uh, zod and then rather than just continuing this punching contest vision's like no you know what actually i don't think i've said enough things that are eminently quotable yeah you know in my span of time as vision <laughs> yeah. so i mean the uh, he's had so many just in you know so far that like that a thing isn't beautiful because it lasts will come go to my grave with me um yeah. but the ship of theseus thing 
and just them talking about it and 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 thinking and the opposite of punching each other and deliberating on the nature of what they are and with um effectively illusion vision saying i'm not the original neither are you but we both are and just that that just mm-hmm. <sighs> there were elements of this that, that sort of um, tie in with some of the best final confrontations in Marvel movies. Like Doctor Strange is not one of my favorite MCU films, but Dormammu, I've come to bargain, is a really great finale to It's yeah, Not it About sure. You. See, I, yeah. I was sure that he was going to Shatner the white vision and just have it shut down with a logic bomb. I'm glad that he did. <laughs> I like, made that as joke. As they went there, I, I was howling. I was laughing at that point. There was nothing funny, no hilarious cues or, or signs that there was going to be a joke. And mm. as soon as he started talking about the, the ship of Theseus, I'm like, he's going to logic bomb him. Oh, my God. And no. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Not quite. Speaking of Vision having really good lines, I'm going to say it. I really enjoyed that line about what is grief but love persevering. And yeah. I know that, like, Twitter being the irony poisoning hellhole that it is really like drove that into the ground. And there have been some legitimately, <laughs> there's been some legitimately funny yeah. references to that. But that line, I mean, like, you know, I am sitting here wrapped up in a blanket that I had gotten from my now dead partner's house, watching this, watching them talk and just like, Oh, I'm going to pause this because I need to take an hour to just lay here and weep. Like, fuck all of you people <laughs> that that were taking the piss out of that because it was actually really meaningful. Oh, congratulations also, on never losing anyone that you care about. Well done. Yeah. Also, Twitter really makes me think that it was a mistake to let Sam think. Maybe computers were a mistake this whole time. Mm-hmm. We should rethink this but whole internet Then we thing. wouldn't have vision. But the, oh, just true, actually. Yeah. Say that line. He or is podcast. The, oh, man. Imagine <laughs> if Vision's actual nemesis is... The internet. The, 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 the rest of the internet. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is my little bit. It's contained in me. And that's enough. Thank you very much. Um, but just there's, to, there's a, sorry, there's a video time. game where the main villain is uh, this giant, like, super AI robot that is allowed on the internet for literally one second and uh, surfing the the whole of the internet in this futurescape just totally ruins and breaks it and it decides to kill everyone. Uh, and I'm like, this, yeah. is, this is the most direct description of being on Twitter I have ever seen in a video game. See, I to thought be fair, that they would have... just looked at Twitter and went, nah, no. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that part of the point of in, in Dark Fate, Skynet becoming the other thing? Because it basically looks at the internet and goes, there is nothing I can do to these people that they aren't going to do to themselves. Legion, yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. just backing off. But how many yeah. times have they let an AI loose on the internet and it's gone um, Berserk. weird? Yeah. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. Show me everything. Like, oh, no, I take it back. I take it back. <laughs> that's really happened. Is it, have anybody tried one of those chatbot things that, that are supposed to be able to have a real conversation? Um, <laughs> I think I'm mad really quickly. Yeah, every time. Every oh, time they get turned into That actually every brings me to something that I, I've, I came up with a name for this week that actually ties us back to the thing we mentioned earlier. Um, it's when you you get a message from someone online who could be a troll just trying to get a rise out of you or could be a bot that's been programmed to be a troll just to try and get a rise out of you so you're shouting into the void and it's actually not even it's not a human being or it could be a human being who actually does possess those thoughts and i had a ship of theseus moment at that I've, I've thought about this a lot before but i was like 
This is a Turing troll. Named after Alan Turing, widely considered to be the father of theoretical computer science and artificial intelligence, only recently fully recognised by his home country of England, creator of a test of a machine's ability to exhibit intelligent behaviour equivalent to or indistinguishable from that of a human. In other words, can we get a machine to appear to be exactly like us? Hence the evolution of the term Turing Troll. As in, eventually, it actually doesn't matter if they're real or not, because you're going yeah. to get the same response out of them. And yeah. There's already no difference between one and three. Yeah, and this is not the same as the disturbing sensibility of certain red pills, or referring to those who haven't taken the red pill as NPCs, insofar as other human beings don't exist, that this is their giant matrix to play in, and it's full of computer-controlled AIs. So it doesn't matter who you hurt, they don't exist, only you exist. That's the kind of stuff you find scribbled in the notebooks of psychopaths. No, it's kind of the other way round. It's acknowledging that the world has 8 billion people in it. You, a tired person, do not have to engage with this, a potentially troublesome yet somehow extremely boring, Schrodinger's robot. So that means that Piers Morgan is a Turing troll. Yep. Okay. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> it doesn't matter that he's actually a human being of flesh and blood who believes these things. Um, just to go back to the... the... <laughs> Are you sure about that? I'm not sure about the blood, though. Yeah. <laughs> if something goes wrong, we can bring, bring back the blood. <laughs> just to go back to the, the ship flesh of Theseus briefly. Um, the, one of the things that I really loved about that, that uh, philosophical discussion, because the ship of Theseus was not something that I had heard of before this. You can bet I went straight to Wikipedia to find out what the, <laughs> the whole thing is. I um, the th when I heard the explanation, I went, I've heard this before, and I swear it's in one of the Pratchett books, mm. but it's about yes. um, a, a family axe, if I replace the blade of my yes! family's axe. Yes! Oh, thank you, Taylor. Thank you so much. That's what was niggling at my brain. I was thinking, <laughs> I know I've heard the format before, but what? where is it? It's the fifth elephant. Yeah. I, think. I think it's nice. the king talking about it. Mm, that's that's yeah. brilliant. Thank you. Um, but, but one of the things that I really um, kind of took from that as well is that he's not just talking about the uh, the reconstruction of himself. He's talking about the concept of memory as it resides within human beings generally, because ultimately we are the ship of Theseus. Every seven or so years, all of our physical self gets regenerated and replaced. We, when you say we I'm rot. not, yeah, exactly. But when you say I'm not the person I was twenty years ago, you are literally not the person you were twenty years ago. You're not the person you was. Eight years ago, <laughs> but the but what what carries forward what what our integrity as a person is is the memory. The memory is literally the only thing that carries forward. That's how you you have continuation as in yourself as a person. It's the things that you remember, um, and and that ultimately is what he's he he needs to quote-unquote die to give that back to both Wanda because she needs to reintegrate this uh, this memory of him and also to white vision because when when he does the thing where he touched his touched his forehead I thought initially he was literally just unlocking memory circuits of, of things that were already there 
but the the yellow light just very very faintly flows from his finger mm. into the chip and it suffuses everything and i only realized it when we rewatched it today he's giving a little bit of himself as in the creation that's come out of the yeah. mind stone to this rebuilt body of vision and that little spark is enough it is it is literally giving life to this creation i saw the stark yeah. contrast between white vision's eyes before and after yes. there yeah he they, became they turn into there. paul bettany's and eyes so when yeah. he says i vision. am vision mm. yeah. yeah vision is the opposite of agatha agatha takes power from people vision mm. gives it mm. gives mm. them insight and gives them power over their own lives yeah. and he's, he's, actually, specifically at the very end when he disappears and uh alex i think you were the one who mentioned it where you see or no sharon one of you the yellow light of the mind stone that um goes into wanda's hand mm. that was you yeah sure sharon i'm sorry that's all right <laughs> well agatha actually stole um or at least learned to mimic uh vision doing that when agatha wakes everybody up to attack wanda it's yellow not purple I think that's pr- uh, anything. Wait, else? Yeah, just one more thing. Okay, go. Thank you for choosing me to be your mom. Oh, that God. line, yeah. Oh, that oh. delivery, the music, the lighting, everything about that one moment. If I if I forget everything else about Wandavision, I will remember that for the rest of my life. Yeah. Okay, right. Um, I mean, there there are other issues going on with WandaVision. I'm sure people will will tweet at us uh, about them. I I saw a very on-point article about the fact that her Sokovian identity and the whole... uh, There's a Romany uh, element, especially to the um, comic version, has been pretty much sidelined. And the big question regarding uh, Romany uh, evoking person from the comics joining Hydra, who are Nazis, Mm. considering the Nazis used to execute Romani much like they did a lot of other kinds of people, um, that looks and feels bad. They addressed it with one line in this in a kind of, that's probably all we're going to get. Just, Mm. you know, uh, Agatha put it in very succinct words and Wanda just replied, we wanted to change the world in a a kind of, when you have all this anger and you want to put it somewhere and then these fuckers come along to you they can radicalize you really easy Mm. so that's weirdly in a depressing way a satisfying answer it it kind of is i would say with regards to that speaking of somebody who who obviously doesn't have any of that culturally in my life but who does have family history linking to uh eastern european um ethnicities by way of latvia and uh, and traveler communities as well i mean we're talking way back but it's there i i would almost rather they didn't until they can get somebody to help them do <laughs> yeah. it right rather than yeah. ham-fisted stab at that, yeah. do it and address it yeah. and end up making a mess of yeah. it yeah yeah no you're right there um so so yeah i mean one division is a show with um which disappointed a lot of people for for different reasons uh it I mean, still, I came out of it kind of wishing that uh, Agatha and, and uh, Wanda had ended up being much closer to each other, and it didn't have to end up the way it did. But 
they've effectively put everyone in a holding pattern now, kind of like Wanda. Mm-hmm. So like Wanda's off doing stuff over here with her, her book, potentially going to become an antagonist or a protagonist, yeah. we don't know. And Is she in the same cabin that uh, Bruce Banner was? That's what I said. I was like, is this the place that, Br- did Bruce tell her about this place? Because that would actually be really cool. He's like, you know, just so you yeah. know, that time when I was Ed Norton, uh, <laughs> I, I got better. <laughs> um, but... <laughs> But it's a really good place to go if you just want to be away from And you don't want to harm anyone. Yeah. 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 You want to learn your incredible powers without hurting somebody else. Absolutely. Also, can I just say her thing that she can be in one room learning shit and in the other room having a cup of tea and looking at the scenery. Can I have that, please? That would be awesome. Yes. Yes. That is is the best power. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's kind of Doctor Manhattanish, actually. So, yes. Yeah. 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 Ooh. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and just with Agatha, rather than being destroyed in a kind of a now you're a nosy neighbor, this was your crime. It is also your punishment. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a good okay. It's like I said, a holding pattern which allows them to bring Catherine Hahn back in what I'm assuming is going to be a now we really know that you love her way. Mm-hmm. And I I could see feasibly some kind of redemption or, I, if, or something. If, if I just she's, like if she's just still a cackling witch, it's like. Well, what was the point? What was of this? the point? Yeah, if they bring her back, I really would like that mentor mm. idea to to be a thing. Because yeah. yeah. if she's getting training from both uh, Stephen Strange Should have been and Agatha Harkness, I that's yeah. it. Wanda is now the most powerful person in the world. End mm. of drops mic. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. In the comics uh, right now, Agatha's teaching at Strange Strange Academy, which is um, their Hogwarts. Non-turfy Hogwarts. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Before we go, to our esteemed guests, let the listeners know where they can find your best stuff. And we will start with Caro and Debbie. My most recent stuff, including you can see my week-by-week predictions on WandaVision at ghoulishmedia.com as I kind of slowly bumbled through trying to not only guess what was going on, but make comic connections as we were going. Um, And I've been writing for them. That's been a lot of fun. And as always, you can find me on Twitter. Um, when it when the mood strikes me, I sometimes do a long tweet thread about various pop culture things. I've done I've done some that I've been really proud of. Um, I have one about Fight Club in my head that I I really need to actually tweet out and talk about. Um, but yeah, I'm always happy to interact on Twitter. Uh, best at a three hundred or Debbie Morse, either one. Um, and Carve's also quite active on Twitter, MoonPanther22. So come talk to us, show us pet pictures. I, I always, always want to see your pets. And the, the answer to that question is always yes. Yeah. Uh, Mike. So I, I just want to say thanks for having me on. You're very uh, welcome. Free therapy. Well, uh, free therapy session really is what this has turned into for everybody. Um, This show, we've had, I mean, God, everybody's had a year, um, but we've had a a very weird year. We're fine. Everything is fine, but we've been hit just about as hard as anybody can be hit without losing somebody. And we're fine, which makes it super weird. So this show was something to look forward to. And uh, we haven't had that in a while. So that was nice. So um, I am very sporadic. Um, We started our own business and that's part of the COVID issues. So um, I don't have a very big online presence, but you can follow me um, if you look up Action Play Center uh, in Canada. That is where um, kind of I share most of the things. I do a lot of drawings of kids these days instead of hosting an indoor playground. So that's where I'm at. Victoria? 
Well, um, I think the best stuff you can find of me is still on this feed. Although apparently, uh, my the lecture I gave last week was pretty good. Um, <laughs> it rocked. It rocked so hard. Oh my god, you're a genius. Yeah. <laughs> most of my, um, I think it's so funny that that link worked when I sent it to you. Anyway, I uh, most of my best stuff apparently is uh, in real time, synchronously in the classes I teach. But you can always find me on Twitter at uh, Vixen Witch with two V's for the W, of course. Um, and just thanks for having me on and letting me um, kind of share a little bit of that experience. Okay, and Taylor Nova. You can find me over at Gameless at gameless.co.uk where we bring you the latest gaming news every week and you can find me sometimes on Twitter under the uh, new uh, Twitter handle of TaylorNova6. There we go. And that is all from us for this week. Next week we are sticking with Wicked Witches and Inward Journeys and travelling back to the wonderful land of Oz. Not... The Great and Powerful, because that would have been a good tie-in, because obviously it, it, there's a little nod to that in this, directed by Sam Raimi, who's directing Doctor Strange 2. It's all fun. But the 1985 Disney film, which terrified kids everywhere when it delivered a dark tone and everyone was expecting a Munchkin musical. So we will see you for the Maya Santandrea commissioned Return to Oz show in seven days' time. Until then, I've been Alex Shaw. I've been Sharon Shaw. And... Please stand by.